0: The Old Testament lesson is from Micah, chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. Hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. O my people, what have I done to you? How have I wearied you? Answer me. For I brought you up from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery, and I sent before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember that Balak king of Moab devised, and what Balaam the son of Beor answered him, and what happened from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the saving acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high?
1: Thanks be to God.
0: The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-31. through 31. The word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel for this, the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany, is from St. Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Praise be to Thee, O Christ. O oh, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father, and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message is the epistle lesson as it was read to you moments ago from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18-31. through 31. But at this time I want to highlight verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is our text. In the name of our crucified Christ. In these words, St. Paul addresses a reality that Christ and his church have always faced. The message of the cross is nonsense to the unconverted ear. St. Paul's words also serve as a cautionary note to Christ's church, lest we're tempted to change our Lord's message to make it more palatable to the world and to our own sinful inclinations and rationalizations. are spiritually dead and on the road to eternal death, and I might add that some of those people are our own family members and friends and neighbors. For such people, the cross, the message of the cross is folly. It's, jitter, it's gibberish. It's fodder for late night joke hosts. But to those of us who are spiritually awakened by the Holy Spirit, And who are by God's grace in Christ Jesus on the road to eternal life. The message of the crucified Christ is the core of our Christian confession and our practice. God in his desire to see the skeptic saved makes it his business to deflate the smugness of a person who thinks of himself as wise. St. Paul asks, where is the philosopher who pontificates as if he is full of wisdom? Where is the scribe who dots every I and crosses every T and yet can't see the Christ in the pages of the Old Testament? Where is the conceited critic who delights in debate? Has God not shown the world's wisdom to be foolish? St. Paul continues, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Man's natural knowledge of God is incomplete. In man's quest for God, he is prone to wander aimlessly in a me-oriented philosophy maze and haze, never finding the key to unlocking the door to the Lord. The Greek philosopher and intellectual protagoras sums up the philosophy of the majority of the people of today when he said man is the measure of all things. Such thinking makes man out to be a god. It limits man in his thinking, which prevents man from ever knowing God as benevolent and then which ultimately leads to death, eternal death. As a truly wise man warned in the book of Proverbs, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Man's quest to know God can also lead him in another erroneous direction. It can lead him to mysticism, to reducing Jesus to that of being merely a miracle worker, a signs and wonder vending machine. You just push his buttons and you get what you want from him. In Matthew's gospel, we're told, Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. As if they saw, if they saw a sign from Jesus, they would truly believe. But Jesus said to these scribes and Pharisees, He said, An evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Even some of Jesus' followers were swept up in the signs and wonders phenomenon, thinking of Jesus as being a vending machine. You remember after Jesus fed more than 5,000 people, the followers of Jesus wanted him to be their daily bread king, someone that they could just turn to and he would zap up a miracle for them and provide for their daily needs. And when Jesus wouldn't play that game, they abandoned him. Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to Gentiles, writes St. Paul. What Paul is saying is that the simplicity, the naivety of the manner of communicating the gospel and even the substance of the message itself that Christ is the crucified one for our sins, that this is likely to offend the sophisticated, the philosophically astute thinkers of our day. And those who seek miracles in order to confirm that their faith in Jesus is valid and, and reasonable, find the message of the cross foolish, scandalous, It's scandalous to their ears, Or it's boring. The message of the cross is boring, it lacks drama, it lacks excitement, it lacks powerful manifestations of God's almighty power, so who wants to believe in a weak and dying savior? when we can have a God who does great miracles for us. We preach Christ crucified, states St. Paul. We proclaim the bare naked truth that the Lord rescuing us from sin, death, and the devil takes nothing short of God's own son being stripped naked on a cross, humiliated by Jewish and Roman authorities, and then rejected by our Father as he dies on that cross for our sins. The message of the cross is so simple. It's so simple to proclaim that even a three year old child can point to the cross of Christ and explain to us, or at least tell us, the story of God's love for us, of how his son dies for us, reconciling us to God, rescuing us from hell, and opening heaven's gate to us. Yes, a three year old can explain this. recite this story to us. And so the skeptic, though, responds, yeah, sure. Yes, a three-year-old can tell us the story of Jesus dying on the cross for sure. But that's because it's kind of a story that a three-year-old will believe. It's for weak-minded individuals. But seriously, you followers of Christ really believe in such a fool? and proclaim such a ridiculous message? I mean, what kind of life did Jesus live? What did he ever achieve in his life? I mean, he amassed no personal wealth. He, he was not widely traveled. He was not educated by a famous rabbi of his day. He left no sons to carry on his name. His life was short and was spent in the company of, of common people, and even some cases, highly undesirable people. I mean, he made a dramatic and ambiguous claims that would Leave one concluding that either he was delusional or a lunatic or a liar or all of the above. I mean, he was alienated by his own people and tortured and executed as a young man by Roman authorities as though he were a common criminal. I mean, this is the one whom you preach. This is the man. This is the God man whom you worship. He's the wisdom of God. He's the Savior of the world who has the power and dominion over all of creation. He's the one of whom I'm to put my trust in for my life and my eternal future. Are you kidding me? Do you take me to be a fool? St. Paul responds, Yes. This is the one to whom we point. This is the one in whom we believe. In fact, St. Paul writes in our text, to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Yes, Jesus was and is the gesture of the court of human arrogance and self-interest Jesus turns the philosophy of the world upside down. Jesus makes a fool of the expectations that many people had of the the Messiah and still have of the Savior of the world. I mean, our gospel reading for today is a perfect example of Jesus, the jester, speaking a word that the court of public opinion finds to be folly, and yet his words are truly wise. I mean, we heard Jesus, the jester, say, "'Blessed are the poor.'" which the world responds, what's blessed about being poor? Wealth is our goal. Jesus the jester says, blessed are those who mourn, to which the world responds, are you kidding me? How are mourning and blessing? On the same page, they're polar opposites. Jesus the jester says, blessed are you when you're persecuted. which even maybe some Christians respond that doesn't sound very blessed if someone is beating me up or making fun of me or killing me because I'm a follower of yours and Jesus the jester says elsewhere the last will be first and the first will be last who lives like that and Jesus the jester says love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you are you kidding me I'm going to march in the streets I'm going to seek revenge. And Jesus, the court jester, says, forgive your brother, not just seven times, but 70 times seven times, to which we respond, are you kidding me? Do you know what my brother has done against me? There's an old story about a king and a jester, the king's jester, that is, that goes something like this. Once upon a time, there was a king who delighted in his courts and in all of his subjects. But of all the people in his kingdom, the king really liked his court jester the best. And when he was bothered by the troubles of state, the court jester could always make him laugh. One day, the king had a great idea. He had the court jester summoned to his chamber And the king was holding a little golden wand, and he gave it to the jester, and he said, My friend, when you find a bigger fool than yourself, you must present to him this little golden wand. And so the court jester went looking for a bigger fool than himself, and he went to every village, and he asked questions, one and all. And meanwhile, back at the castle, his royal highness was taken gravely ill. And the jester was called back to be by the king's bedside in his last hours. And the dying king said, hello, my friend. I'm going on a long journey from which I will never return. Your Highness, the jester said, have you prepared for this journey? No, replied the king, I haven't. Then laughed the jester, I must present to you this little golden wand. Yes, like the king in this story, the philosophers of our age, the miracle seekers who think of Jesus as a vending machine, so to speak, they think of Jesus as a court jester. They mock him. They find him funny. They'll put him on stage every once in a while when they need a good joke from him. And they not only mock Jesus, but they mock and ridicule his followers, as misguided and delusional fools. And all the while, they are the greater fool. For they're not living their life in line with God's purposes, and nor are they preparing themselves for their death and what awaits them beyond the grave. St. Paul continues in our text, For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards and not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise and God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world and even things that are not to bring things to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God chooses to reveal himself not only in the person of Jesus, and not only through the humdrum medium of preaching, like what I'm doing today, but God chooses to reveal Himself in the hoi polloi, the riffraff, and through them to other people in this world. I mean, Christ church has been and continues to be populated and led by commoners. The marginalized, the economically challenged. Oh, not exclusively, for there have always been educated and wealthy and people of power within Christ's church. But Christ church has always been a place. A gathering place. Where people who live on the margins, the invisible people who make this world go around often, a place where they can come together. God also chooses to reveal and deliver His blessings to you and me in the lowly things of this world. Things that are unimpressive, like preaching, like teaching, like baptism, like the Lord's Supper. The world watches these things, they witness these things, And you think, oh, how boring. I'd rather see you raise the dead. I'd rather have someone open the eyes of the blind. I'd rather see you cast out a demon or two. Then maybe I would believe. Or there's people that think, give me a smooth-talking salesman who promises me that God will give me health, wealth, and happiness. Then I'll believe, and then I'll follow Jesus. Give me the glitz, give me the glamour and the gala, not baptism, not absolution, not the Lord's Supper. But those are the exact means, those are the means through which God works power and miracle, the miracle of faith in our lives. It's through those means, preaching, teaching, baptism, Lord's Supper, absolution, that God declares to you and me that our sins are forgiven, that he gives to us the blessings of his forgiveness in the crucified Christ, and it's in the power of the gospel that he not only creates faith in our hearts, but he continues to sustain us in that faith. And so you see, this is now the cautionary note that Paul issues to you and to me. You see, there are many, many churches trying to remain relevant in this world there are many many churches who who have fear of being maligned because they may teach something out of out of sorts with what's accepted in society there are many churches today who have fear of losing members and so what do they do fortunately many churches embrace the worldly godless secular philosophies and values and behaviors that are popular out in the world they're seen to be progressive when in reality they're very regressive and some christians are assimilating man's wisdom into their own way of thinking and living because they find themselves trying to rationalize and accept the life choices of their children and their grandchildren. And then on the flip side of all of this, there's other Christians who are bewitched and they're bedazzled by the miracle workers and the smooth-talking salesmen who claim to be channels of God's healing powers and prosperity. And so they flock these individuals hoping that indeed God will work some kind of miracle in their life and, and give them that prosperity that they want or give them that healing that will make their life more comfortable for them or easier for them to live. But then what happens to such a person's faith when the miracles stop and the promise of prosperity never materializes? See, that's the temptation that you and I ever face too. The temptation to compromise Christ's teachings with that of the world. To seek and to look for Christ in places where He doesn't promise to be. Friends, do not be duped. Do not be duped by the charlatans that surround us out in the world and even sometimes right within the church. Listen to their message, listen to what they preach. What is the core of their message? What is of first importance to them? Are they preaching Christ and him crucified? If not, get away from them quickly. Have nothing to do with them. Paul writes, Because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now we get to it, don't we? We do not want to buy into the ways and the teachings of the world around us or the charlatans that we find even within the church who do not proclaim Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. But instead, we do indeed cling to Jesus Christ, the crucified one. Why? Because He is wisdom from God. Jesus Christ is the Word of God made flesh. He is the one who reveals to us the true heart of God. If you want to know who the true God is, you need to know who Jesus Christ is. And when you know who Jesus Christ is, as the crucified one, risen from the dead, then Jesus is also our righteousness, as Paul says. Jesus the crucified is our righteousness. St. Paul writes to the Philippian Christians, for his sake, that is for Jesus' sake. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Yes, as we look at the cross of Christ and we see Christ dying on that cross for us, we recognize that he is indeed bearing our sins. And as he does so, he is reconciling us to God. So that God no longer holds our sins against us, but he forgives us. And not only does he forgive us, but he places upon us Christ's righteousness, Christ's holiness, so that when God looks at you and me, he sees not our sin he sees our Savior and he forgives us and when we go to our baptism when we're baptized in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit God places the righteousness of Christ on us like a robe we don't see that robe coming on us but it's there nonetheless and so if you are seeking the forgiveness of God reconciliation with him then you need to look to the cross of Christ and Him crucified. For there you'll find Jesus as our righteousness. But Jesus the crucified is also our sanctification. When I look at the cross of Christ, I'm reminded of the groom who gives his life for the bride so that she may be made made holy. I think of St. Paul's words to the Ephesian Christian when he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And how did Christ love the church? Well, Paul continues, he gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Friends, when you look at the cross of Christ and you hear Christ, the crucified one, speaking to you, I hope you hear the words of your groom speaking to you who loved you so much that indeed he died on the cross. He gave his life for the bride and as a result of that he has indeed made us righteous and holy in his sight without spot or sprinkle. When the groom looks at us, he looks at us with delight. He looks at us with the delight that a groom looks at his bride on the day that they're married. He sees not our blemishes. He sees not our spots and stains. He sees not our failures. He sees us as the one for whom he died. And Jesus the crucified is our redemption. On one hand, the cross reminds us that we're in debt to God we're in debt to God for our sin. But on the other hand, the cross reminds us and assures us that God has paid the debt. He's paid the debt for us. And Jesus was that ransom. Paul says to the Corinthians later on in his epistle You're not your own, for you were bought with a price. The price being Jesus' blood. So glorify God in your body. Paul says to the Roman Christians, he says, You are justified. That is, you're righteous, you're declared righteous by God's grace as a gift through the redemption that came through Christ Jesus. And so you and I are redeemed. We're redeemed from slavery to sin, we've been rescued from death itself. Because Jesus paid the price that you and I could never pay. Christ price being his blood on the cross. And so think of it. We preach Christ crucified and risen from the dead because Christ is our righteousness. Because Christ is our sanctification. Christ is our redemption. And he's not just that for us. He's not just those things for us. But he's also for those, thing, those things for those people who mock and scoff and ridicule him. And so considering the teaching of St. Paul in our text today, won't you agree with me? God's foolishness, God's foolishness in the person of Jesus Christ is what everyone needs. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.